Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time from Trump to woke, we speak to former US Congressman Joe Walsh, who once supported the low tax, socially conservative Tea Party faction of the Republican Party and its patron saint Donald Trump. Joe has since been on a remarkable political journey that led him to challenging Trump for the 2020 presidential nomination. And when that failed, supporting his rival Joe Biden in the Democrats' successful bid for the White House. After years when he sowed division with tweets that were regarded as racist and when he took a stance against abortion and Black Lives Matter, Joe Walsh is now on a mission to heal the poisonous divides caused by populism through his podcast, White Flag. Joe Walsh's story will, I think, resonate on this side of the Atlantic as we deal with the fallout of Brexit and Boris Johnson's premiership. Before we hear from him, though, just a quick reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online offerings with content that you can't read anywhere else. We are the news outlet that exposed the Dan Wooten story when others chose to look the other way after a three-year investigation. So do support us if you can. Subscription details over at bylinetimes.com. Welcome then to Joe Walsh. And Joe, just tell us about your support for the Tea Party and Donald Trump. What did you believe in and where did that come from? Well, it's weird. I, I mean, yes, I, I got elected in the Tea Party wave. I still consider myself a Tea Party guy. But you know what? Issues don't matter with Trump. I loved your intro. You called Trump the patron saint of the Tea Party. Trump's the patron saint of Trump. All Trump cares about is Trump. Issues used to matter. And I, yeah, I used to be really right wing. I was an outspoken divisive right-wing guy, and I helped to lead to Trump because it's a lot of the ugly stuff that people like me said that helped get Trump elected. But Trump doesn't and never has stood for really any issues. He's just all about Trump. And you say you're still a Tea Party supporter then, by which I presume you mean that you're still socially conservative. You still believe in a small state. You still believe in minimal tax. But for you, Trump has become a cult beyond politics. Yeah, I I still am pretty libertarian in my politics. I believe in a smaller government. Socially, I'm much more tolerant and I am proudly woke (laughs) because, uh, look, uh, and maybe we'll get into it. I, I, I was saying before Donald Trump ever came on the scene that I worry America can't and won't stay together. And I helped to lead to some of that divisiveness. My political party, my former party, the Republican Party, is no longer a party. Issues used to matter. And you were you were categorized by where you stood on issues. Now, the only thing that matters in the Republican Party is where do you stand on Trump? So I'm still pretty conservative, but I oppose Trump. So there's no longer any room in the Republican Party for somebody like me. At the same time, though, you were criticising the past. I mentioned tweets that you had made, tweets that had to be deleted, that were construed as racist, that people accused you of even fermenting violence, and you were critical of Black Lives Matter. And on those issues, you've rethought, you've recanted your former positions. Yes, on those issues, 
I stopped doing what I was doing, which was fomenting. Look, I come from the right. And like a lot of people on the right, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, a lot of these names on the right, what they do is, and I used to do a lot of this, you try to get your listeners all pissed off and angry and inflamed. And I used to do that. And I'd go after Black Lives Matter and easy targets on the left. I stopped doing that once Trump got elected because I saw how utterly cruel he was. And I thought to myself, Adrian, I thought, my God, did I do I sound like Donald Trump, even a little bit like Trump? It's like Trump scared me straight. He woke me up because he's so divisive, so ugly, so cruel. And then that then compelled me to start listening to some of these groups on the left. So, yeah, I am much more open and woke now. Did you have a road to Damascus-like conversion? Yes. Yes. And it began with the election of Trump in 16. And I voted for Trump in 16. When he got elected, I was on a couple hundred radio stations all over America. I was one of the biggest right-wing media voices in the country. And during that campaign, I heard stuff that bothered me. I didn't like some of the things Trump said, but generally I didn't pay attention to Trump. I understood, and this is important for everybody to know, I understood why people supported Trump because the same people who supported Trump supported me. They sent me to Washington. I believed then, and I believe now, our politics in America is pretty fucked up. We need more than two parties. Our system is broken. And Trump promised to come in and disrupt things. We needed a disruptor. Well, he's an evil, evil disruptor. So my road from Damascus moment began once he got elected, I started to pay attention to him, and I realized day after day, week after week, how bad he was. And then I listened to his supporters support all the ugly, cruel stuff he was advocating. And that really began to set me on my road to redemption. What were the things that he said that resonated with the people who supported you? It's important to understand that I was part of the Tea Party wave in, in America back in 2010, 2012, and I got elected when Obama was president. And most of the Tea Party to me was all about government spending and the size of government. But I got to admit, I heard ugly stuff back then, ugly racist stuff about Obama, ugly stuff about build a wall and keep brown and black people out. And I should have done a better job of addressing that stuff head on eight to 10 years ago, because that's the kind of stuff that led to Trump. So when Trump came in and said, I'm going to build a wall and keep brown and black people out, and all of my listeners and all of my followers cheered him, boy, that scared me. And then I'd try to talk to them. Why do you want to keep brown and black people out? And it occurred to me that a big chunk of the movement, my movement, really wanted America to be kind of a white Christian country. And Trump enabled these people to say that kind of thing. It scared me because that's not what I want. And it's worth pointing out that as well as being an elected congressman, you also had a very popular socially conservative radio talk show as well, in which you 
promoted these ideas or heard these ideas. So when you decided that actually Trump was evil and that he needed to be resisted, how long did it take you to actually reverse your position and kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, we're fermenting something that is very dangerous here? I'm guilty, by the way, of a lot of things. I'm guilty of doing a shitty job of paying attention to Trump before he got elected. I didn't pay enough attention to him. I got caught up in the moment. I figured Donald Trump was just a goof that if he got elected, he'd hire some good people and he'd just go play golf all the time. <laughs> Once he got elected and I started to pay attention to him, I realized this is going to be dangerous. Once he started to, you know, uh, Russia interfered with our election and in 16 and Trump didn't give a damn. That really bothered me. I was one of the most popular right-wing radio voices in the country. And I remember coming home from my radio show a month and a half after Trump won, and I turned to my wife and I said, this is not going to end well from me for me. Because I knew even a month and a half into his presidency that I couldn't support him, that I was going to have to stand against him. And I knew that once I did that, I was going to lose all my Republican support. I was going to lose my radio show. I was going to lose Fox News. I was going to lose everything. So it's a difficult thing to do. And it was a very difficult thing to do because I took a blowtorch to my career. And most politicians and most media people won't do that. I understand it's hard. Well, yeah, you're taking a blowtorch to your career, so cutting off your financial strength. Yes. And also potentially turning your back on friends, people who you've shared platforms with, people who you've discussed politics with. How uncomfortable did all that get? Until Trump got elected, I was on a path to be a leading conservative voice in this country. And the moment I publicly stood up against Donald Trump, I lost that. I took a blowtorch to my career. I lost all my friends. I lost all my supporters and followers. And Adrian, the other thing that happened is, and this happens to other people like Liz Cheney and others, the minute as a Republican you stand up against Trump, the death threats begin. And you have to live in a world where you are constantly enduring threats. That's the other thing a lot of people don't realize. And that's what I've had to put up with for the past six years. Just so we're clear, Joe, where do you think the Trump path was taking the United States? Well, the Trump path is taking the United States down a road, a scary, dangerous road that would shut off the United States from the rest of the world. I mean, if Trump were still president, he'd want to build a wall around the country. He'd want to take us out of NATO. He'd want us to have nothing to do with any of our alliances around the world. And he'd embrace all the bad guys. He'd embrace Putin. He'd embrace Xi in China. He'd embrace Kim Jong-un. It would isolate America and create a feeling in America that we are this white, 
Christian country that doesn't care about the rest of the world. That's what Trumpism is. And you were particularly aggrieved when he embraced Putin. So Trump gets elected for a year and a half. I'm continuing to speak out against him and I'm continuing to lose uh, radio shows and advertisers and friends and supporters. And I'm getting beaten over the head by my fellow Republicans, my colleagues in Congress, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, many of the people you know, the management of my radio company, the head, you know, people at Fox News, everybody telling me to stop. My final straw was when Donald Trump in Helsinki stood in front of the world and said, I'm with Putin, and he gave a middle finger to America's intelligence community. I remember watching that, Adrian, on TV that day. I went on my radio show that night, and I said publicly, I am going to do everything I can to make sure this traitor, that's when I first called him a traitor, will never, ever get reelected in 2020. The moment I did that, I then lost everything. And even now, despite that, despite what we've seen of Putin's intentions, we'd had plenty of warning, of course, with his invasions of Crimea and Donbass before that. But nobody could be now in any doubt about the character of Putin following the invasion of Ukraine. We have Trump who was a, a Putin supporter, still being regarded as the most likely presidential nomination for the Republicans. And that's at a time when he's facing serious charges about the January the 6th insurrection. I mean, from this side of the Atlantic, that seems truly baffling. How do you explain so it? So your side of the Atlantic needs to understand a really scary fact, a scary truth right now about America. We have two political parties in America. That's it. We have two, Democrats and Republicans. One of our two major political parties, the Republican Party, my former party, is no longer a party. It is a cult. Most importantly, it is a party that no longer believes in democracy. I need the world to understand that. I come from that party. I still, look, I come from the populist base. I'm still a populist. I've heard every day from these people for five to six years, they've given up on democracy. They want Trump. Why do they love Trump? Because they want a dictator. They want an, a, an authoritarian, a strong man to give them back the America they believe in. They no longer believe elections and the democratic process can get that for them. Really important for the world to know, you're right, Donald Trump will be the Republican Party nominee. He's a criminal. He will be indicted probably next week for a fourth time. Every indictment strengthens him among his Republican followers. The world needs to know that. And oh, by the way, even with four indictments, there's a decent chance he could become president again. 
That is truly shocking, Joe. And you've set about writing the wrongs that you were guilty of, if I can use that phrase, yeah. through your podcast, The White Flag. And by addressing the polarization of politics in the United States. And as I mentioned right at the start of this recording, we're familiar with polarization, having had Brexit, which split our country right down the middle. We've had a prime minister in Boris Johnson, who's echoed many of the populist memes of Donald Trump. And you're not saying you won't speak to Republicans, you'll embrace Republicans, far from it, you are still, I suppose, a a Republican, but you'll embrace Democrats. What you're trying to do is say, look, it's the polarisation itself that is the problem. Whichever side of the fence you see yourself as being on, you need to speak to people on the other side to try and understand them and to move away from the divisive populists who who would separate us. Yeah, and I think it's so important, and maybe you'll disagree with me, my friend. I think we're living in a populist moment. I know we're living in a populist moment in America. I think we're in a populist moment around the world. I don't think populism is necessarily a bad thing. I think populism can be good or bad. This version of populism is bad, but I think it's really important to understand where it comes from. The elites in America for so long have ignored the concerns and fears of average regular Americans. They've ignored these fears. So then that's that's then a perfect environment for a demagogue like Donald Trump to come along and ignite those fears and lie to those fears and try to channel those fears into violence. Things have been changing really rapidly in the world, especially in America. And instead of teaching people about why these changes are important, what they mean, the elites just kind of ignored people for a number of years. And then Trump came along and he said, I hear you and this is what I'll do for you. It was all bullshit, but I think it's really important to know why so many average, and I think also in your, on your side of the pond, Brexit, why so many of these populist movements were fueled because people felt really distanced from kind of their ruling class. So there's an issue here at the moment, which is described as the small boats crisis. These are migrants coming yeah. across the English Channel from France in very often unseaworthy vessels in some cases dying in their hundreds, in other cases arriving in their thousands here. People who are fleeing war, persecution, perhaps because of their sexual orientation or political beliefs, or people who simply want to escape the grinding poverty of the country in which they live. And of course, these people are being facilitated by criminals. And we have a government that seeks to outlaw the arrival of those people and they're playing to a right-wing press which seeks to demonize those people who are arriving so you could say that our government is doing something very similar to trump that is they're recognizing people's fears of what these new arrivals might do in this country and how they might yes place economic pressure and so on i, I personally let me just stress joe i 
loathe the demonization of those yes. people. And I'm the son of a refugee and the son of migrants to this country. But the difficulty is how do political parties address that other than saying to, if you like, ordinary working class people, look, you've got to accept this. This is part of change. This is part of what we're going to have to get used to at a time of climate crisis. We're going to have to accommodate these people. If they say that, will they not be accused of ignoring the concerns and fears of ordinary people? That's such a great point, Adrian. That's such a great point. And, and again, I have a unique perspective because this issue of immigration probably has driven Trumpism more than any other issue in this country. I'm a border hawk. I've spoken on this issue for a long, long time. I don't believe anybody should come into this country illegally. You're not a country if you don't have borders and if you don't defend those borders. So I've been very outspoken on this issue, but it stops there. You don't demonize people who want to come here. When there are people coming here seeking asylum, those aren't people coming here illegally. Seeking asylum is a legal process. So what Trump did was he took that one concern and fear, defend your borders, and he ran with it on steroids. And he said, these people are evil. They're coming from shithole countries. They want to overrun your country. So that's an ugly, ugly, ugly populist extreme version that now has animated the entire Republican Party. But it's important to understand that. So what is the solution? What's the alternative? Well, the alternative isn't to just open your arms and let everybody in. And then once they're in, let them live their own lives and not assimilate into your country or they're going to change your country. There has to be a middle ground there that I think some on the left don't understand. But you're right, Adrian. The demonization has overtaken the issue here in America. And it's wrong. You talk about the divisiveness, Joe. This really goes to the heart of your mission now, the divisiveness yes. that Trump has caused. And you've suggested that the United States might even become a disunited states, that the US might have to have some kind of amicable divorce. Just talk me through that. Again, important point, and maybe I've said this. Donald Trump did not create the divide in this country. Donald Trump is an ugly, ugly consequence of how divided we are. He certainly exploited it, hasn't he? Completely. Yeah. And he's, yes, and he's made it worse. But a very divided, broken, I mean, how the hell can a bad person like Donald Trump ever become president of America? There's something wrong when a guy like that gets elected. So we are broken and we are divided. I helped get him elected. I have helped divide this country. So I've dedicated my life as long as I'm alive to trying to do something about the divide. But when I was in Congress eight, nine, 10 years ago, before Trump was even on the scene, I talked about, oh, my gosh. Can America stay together? Maybe you remember Marjorie Taylor Greene, that crazy, ugly congresswoman from Georgia. A month or two ago, she said it's time for a national divorce in America. 
and everybody got angry at her. I asked the same question nine years ago. Should America get divorced? And I wonder about that. And I worry that we can't stay together. And the reason, Adrian, I worry that America can never be united again is because I worry we don't share a belief in what it means to be an American. I really worry that we don't all agree on our founding principles anymore. Joe, let me go back one. When you say that Trump didn't create the division, who or what created the division in the first place? Oh, boy, that's such a good question. I think it's been building for a long, long time. This country is 240 some years old. I think the country was founded upon a vision of freedom, limited government and equality for all. We still have huge problems with the equality for all part. We no longer have a limited government. So our federal government has been growing for the last 240 years. And I worry that people no longer really believe in the same notion of freedom. So I think it's been building for a long, long time on both sides, and people have been afraid to address it. So then we come down to practicalities. I know you're not advocating this, or I think you're not advocating this, Joe, but how would or could the United States split? A lot of the division is, if you like, internal, isn't it? It's not as though there's a a north-south split or there's not a clean north-south or west-east split in the United States. Obviously, the I suppose the middle of the country is more conservative, more Republican than either the West Coast or the East Coast, both of which you... tend to be more Democrat. But are you suggesting that there could actually be a breakup of the United States? Yes. And by the way, Adrian, thank you for this interview, because I I love this is such an important conversation. And I love your questions. And I love I love this topic. So thank you, my friend. Thank you. It's been great to speak to you, Joe. So let, let me say this for the world to hear. America has not been this divided since just before the Civil War. In many ways, if you started America from scratch right now, if you took our entire landmass and you started one country from right now, I don't think you'd make us one country. I think you'd make us six or seven countries. Texas might be its own country, California. But you make a really important point. It's too late now to break it up like that. I think there's a real urban-rural divide in this country. So I could see down the road kind of a regional breakup. Adrian, I come from the state of Illinois. It's a very democratic state. But why is that? Because of Chicago. The rest of Illinois is rural-red. So I think you could see a point in America where rural America and urban America break off from each other. From this vantage point, that sounds quite a a kind of disturbing prospect, isn't it? Not least because of the mechanism by which that might take place. We saw with January the 6th, some people willing to go to the Capitol building in Washington and take part in an insurrection. And Adrian, I, I, I don't want this. 
I have been warning about this since before Trump, because this is what I've heard. And I worry it's out there. If you polled the American people right now, there'd be a huge percentage that would say, let's get a divorce. Let's go our separate ways. Nobody knows how to do it. Remember, America was founded with a very weak federal government and strong state governments, federalism. There have been movements in the states for 40 years to have parts of the states secede from each other. I don't know how it could be done, but I know, Adrian, we're on the verge of it. And like a divorced couple, if we don't have therapy, we're going to continue down this road. And just to be clear, Joe, you're not advocating this. You don't want this. You want to heal the divisions. But you fear that if the divisions aren't healed, this is where you'll end up. I am out there advocating and screaming that America undergoes marriage therapy right now. We got to talk to each other. We got to figure out what our issues are or we're going to get a divorce, an ugly, violent divorce. I know this, Adrian. This is my other warning to the world. America is in for a long period of violence. Since Trump's indictment a few days ago, the threats of violence I'm hearing from Republican voters are much greater than the threats I heard before January 6th. So these next 14 to 15 months in America are going to be scary. That's a really disturbing note to end on, Joe. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to hear your analysis of what's going on in the United States. And I hope we can speak again very soon. It's really fascinating to speak to you. Thank you so much. And if you've enjoyed listening to Joe, don't forget, he's got a fantastic podcast called White Flag, which is available through all of your usual podcast channels. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. Don't forget to support our work, the brilliant work that we've done exposing the Dan Wooten scandal, amongst other things. Head over to bylinetimes.com to take out a subscription. And if you have already done so, thank you very much indeed. This has been a We Bring Audio production for the Byline Times. We'll see you again soon, but for now, cheers. Bye-bye.